All right, what's up, Freedom Chasers? Ever found yourself overwhelmed by the multitude of industries and opportunities out there wondering where to make your mark? Or perhaps you've questioned how to successfully pivot from one passion to another. Today's guest is the epitome of diverse expertise and boundless drive. With a strong foundation in accounting and over two decades of entrepreneurial flair, he's not only thrived in industries ranging from automotive to aviation, but he's also crafted a formidable real estate portfolio. But it's not just about the numbers for him, it's about the impact. With a heart for the community, he's used his love for flying to change lives, ferrying patients to essential medical treatments. He's now opening doors for investors like you, offering an opportunity to not only see substantial returns, but also to journey towards financial freedom. Infused with a spirit, a spirit of generosity, an eye for opportunity, and the belief that with grit, grit and creativity, anything is achievable, let's discover the world of Alan Underwood. What's up, man? Thank you so much for joining us. Tim, I'm looking around the room for where the guy is that's going to be on the podcast. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand the feeling, man. It, it's so funny looking back on things and when you're trying to build, build, build like you are. Um, so I would love to jump into the mindset first because you've created a lot of businesses and we were talking pre-show about something that I think is really, really important. Um, let's talk about your mindset when building a business. How do you do that and, and you know, keep, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Keep engaged. Yeah, I, that has been a learning process. So um I have always had a great eye for seeing opportunity and in, in all of the business that I've done, I've never, I don't think I've ever come up with an original idea. I've just seen what other people are doing and I've discovered ways to do it more efficiently and more profitably. So my first business was a chain of pizza restaurants. Um, and I discovered that by going into one, I, and I kept going back and I would go with a yellow pad of notepaper and I would write down how many people were working in the kitchen and how far from the oven to the counter was it. And all of these things that it doesn't seem like a 21 year old should be aware of, but that's what I was doing. And uh, before in about three months or so, I, I thought I had a plan that was better. And uh, with the support of my dad, we're able to open one and that turned into four and partnered in another one, so five restaurants. Uh, same thing happened with car dealerships. I, I just hated that most people hate going to buy a car. So I thought, you know, this, there's got to be a better way to do this. So we founded um, our dealership on the idea that you ought to be able to come in and buy a car and leave within 30 minutes, and you shouldn't have to talk to 18 different managers and salespeople to do it. And so uh, that was a great business, and, and now we're doing that with multifamily real estate. So I think for me, like underlying all of that stuff is um, one of my core values is to edify, to build, to inspire, to lead. And I set a goal when I was about 20 years old that with any interaction I had with anyone ever, I wanted them to leave a better person than they were when they came into that interaction. And that's what I want with my businesses, whether it's an investor or a partner. I hope that the end result of that business interaction is that the customer, the partner, the investor, everybody's better at the end of it than when we started. Absolutely. So I want to touch upon something you said right at the beginning there, because I think a lot of people pigeonhole themselves with the whole idea of creativity. Um, right. They think that they need to create something from scratch. And, and you said something very important that you never had an original idea. What, what you were able to do is connect dots that other people weren't able to connect. Um, so what would you say to somebody out there that would say that they're not creative? Well, I would just ask in what way um, where and and asking what you're not is actually a really great clarifying question. A lot of people spend a lot of time wondering, who am I? Well, I, I think you can get a lot of clarity also by asking, what am I not or who am I not? And um, for me, that was fairly simple. I have no spatial creativity. So when we're doing a house flip, for example, or designing a property, I do not get involved with what tile goes in the bathroom or what countertops are supposed to be because it would be an absolute train wreck. It would look like a three-year-old's coloring project if I got in charge of that. Okay. So, People have zones of genius. I think for me, I would say God-given talents where 
um, in my marriage, this is readily evident. I love flying airplanes. I could go to the airport and hang out with my airplane, fly the airplane every day and be totally happy with it. That would not be enjoyable for my wife. She loves gardening and her happy place is out playing with her plants. She talks to them. She cares for them. She loves them. I'm manual labor in the garden. I have no vision for what that should be like. I don't love caring for the plants. I love that she loves it, but we're just different in that way. So I think that sometimes we can spend a lot of time fixating on what we lack rather than identifying what are we uniquely gifted at doing and focusing on that thing to the benefit of other people. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with self-awareness in general. Um, so if somebody were listening and they were like, how do I go about identifying my zones of genius? What do you think would be a good approach to take? Okay. So there can be, I can give you a good approach to take and I can give you how I did it and which was not a good approach. So... <laughs> let's do both. Uh, let's, let's hear what you learned from your approach. Cause <laughs> So my approach was I didn't have an approach. Um, I was operating as building a car dealership at the time. And um, I had been taught from a young age by my dad, by my grandpa, that the formula for success was show up early, stay late and work harder than everybody else. And I exemplified that strategy. I was at the restaurant by four or five o'clock in the morning on the weekend. Sometimes I didn't leave until one o'clock the next morning and I prided myself and I didn't stop. i worked all day long. Um, that was at the restaurants. Car dealerships was very similar. Um, and that is all good and fine until something in life changes where now life isn't normal and maybe emotionally you're, you have some instability. So, in a two-year period from 2018 to 2020, we lost my mother-in-law very unexpectedly to cancer, my father-in-law to cancer, and my dad to a massive stroke. And the grief and mental and emotional strain that that put on me made it impossible for me to function at a normal, at what I'd been doing for 20 years. And I totally crashed and burned, um, like 100% complete breakdown, um, considered checking myself into like a month long mental health retreat. And I didn't know who I was. Anybody that's experienced really extreme depression. Um, I know how that feels. Um, for me, it was like, if your life, your character, everything that lights you up was inside of like an electrical box on your house and each of those circuit breakers were an element of your personality for me somebody turned them all off and i i wasn't i didn't know how to operate a business anymore i didn't know how to do life anymore and i've spent the last three years rediscovering who i was and part of that came with hiring coaches to help me see what I couldn't see in myself. So given the opportunity to do all of that over again, and when I talk to other people, the investment that you can make in having a good coach or somebody that can help you see your strengths and weaknesses is invaluable. It's worth every dollar that you might spend. Um, all of my older kids are now working with life coaches. So from 14 to 23, my kids are working with coaches because I want them to have the emotional, mental, psychological skills that I didn't know I didn't have until it was too late. Absolutely. Um, I love the analogy with the circuit breaker and the lights. As somebody that has experienced depression way more than I'd like to admit, um, that is spot on. Um, and, and just not knowing who you are and having to rediscover who you are is is just a spot on description for it. So um, I think with depression in particular, there are a lot of people suffering that have no idea that they're suffering from depression, that they think it's fatigue or something. Um, right. um, so I, I think that analogy is great. Anybody out there that that has that same feeling, 
Um, it's one of those things where anything that you loved to do no longer brings you joy. Um, you might be experiencing depression. Um, so let's um, move along a little bit from there. Um, Steer it up a little bit um, before we get born to business. Um, you mentioned your love for airplanes. I, I would love to understand why you love airplanes and, and also like the, this this lovely thing where you're where you're helping other people with, with your pilot license too. I'd love to hear about that before we get into business. Yeah, awesome. I, nothing I love more than talking about airplanes. So I think that that seed was planted uh, when I was a little kid. My grandfather was a master sergeant in the Air Force. He worked at Luke Air Force Base here in Phoenix. Um, I can remember going with him to the base for as long as I can remember. I've gone to air shows. Um, when my kids were little, I would drive to an airport that's near my house, and there's a park right next to the airport. And while they would play at the park, I would stare at the airplanes that were landing and taking off. Um, I think it's really funny how life can come full circle. So after I got licensed, which was only two years ago, um, I my the first place that my plane was parked when I bought a plane was directly adjacent to that park where I had been 20 years before with my kids. And now I fly in and out of that airport. Um, that's my home field. Um, and the story to getting there was really tied to what we just talked about. So in losing myself, I was desperate. In fact, I have a note card written down where I needed to see three miracles in my life. I needed to see the miracle of happiness. I needed to see the miracle of prosperity and I needed to see the miracle of purpose. And, um, in that search, I, had what seemed like a silly idea at the time to take a flying lesson. And that lesson changed my life. I mean, I, I can remember exactly how I felt, what plane we were flying, where we were. I mean, it was like a perfect moment. And through the process of learning how to fly, I started flipping breakers again and um, realized that there was something really powerful, at least for me in flight. And I suspected that that would also be true for other people. So I started Googling aviation charities so I could use this newfound love and skill to give back. And I discovered Angel Flight West. And Angel Flight West is a group, uh, about 2,000 strong now, of private pilots, just like myself, who volunteer their time, the use of their personal aircraft, and pay the entire cost of flights for people in need of medical care far from home. Um, great example of that was my first flight was a young man named Bradley, who at 15 years old was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. He lived five or six hours from the children's hospital and three days a week, his mom would drive him to the hospital and back. Imagine the strain that puts emotionally, financially on the recovery of that individual to be on the road for 10 hours. Not to mention, now you've got a mom who's exhausted and on the road. It's a dangerous situation. My flight to pick up Bradley is an hour and 15 minutes. So I can pick him up and get him to his appointment and back home before lunchtime at no expense to himself and very little time expended. Um, it is has been completely life-changing for me to do that. Um, you get in the airplane with a young man who's 18 years old and is going to find out if cancer treatment can continue or not. And you don't have any problems in your life anymore. Like whatever might've been a problem of oh, the check didn't come in or the vendors upset or whatever might be happening in business. Like that stuff doesn't matter. Uh, all of a sudden your life is wonderful and you just get an opportunity to change somebody else's life. So it's been totally life-changing for me. Absolutely. Everything is certainly relative, right? And when you put yourself in scenarios like this, you can really see um, the challenges that other people are forced to overcome. And it's, as you said, it makes light of your challenges sometimes, which is a good thing. Um, you mentioned three important things there. Um, you said you had this card, you wanted three miracles, happiness, prosperity, and purpose. Um, now I'm going to pigeonhole you here a little bit, um, but hopefully you're okay with that. 
if you had to pick one miracle, which of those three would it be? If I could only have one? Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, happiness. Okay. Um, and why happiness? Because I know what it's like to live life without it. Um, mm -hmm. I've done life with and without money, prosperity. Um, life goes on either way. I've, I've lived in third world countries with people that have nothing and they're happy. Uh, I've, I know some of the wealthiest men in the country and they're happy. The opposite can also be true. Um, I think I lived for a long time without a very clearly defined purpose, but it was completely intolerable to live without happiness. And, um, that is something that I won't tolerate in myself anymore. And I strive to help other people to find, um, because life is, I mean, man, uh, I just remember how terrible it was. It's so hard to go through life, not being happy. It truly is. Um, and, and this will be a relative question, but I, I think, um, I think people that have really seen the deepest, darkest throes of depression, really, um, they respect what it is to not be depressed a whole lot more than people that have never been there. Um, and oh, and yeah. for so like before that experience, when people would talk about feeling anxiety or being depressed, like I thought they were making it up. I just, I, I, I hadn't experienced, I didn't understand it. I had no compassion for it. I was just like, man, you just are lazy. Like, get yourself out of bed and go to work wow, uh, did my perspective change after going through it? Um, it is physically, emotionally, mentally, completely debilitating and is certainly the furthest thing from something you're pretending. Without question. So I, I, I kind of, I call it a rock bottom moment, right? But I use that relatively in my life all the time now. And I'm curious if you do the same thing. It's like, if I'm ever going through a challenge, I'd be like, well, compared to this experience, this is like a five out of 10. It's not even that bad. Um, do you do that too? I think um, maybe not consciously, but a part of that too is that in the pursuit of regaining happiness, I picked up habits that I think help to maintain it and provide perspective. I, I keep a gratitude journal every day. I meditate every day. I go for a walk every day. Um, and I've set boundaries for myself on the things that led to that first experience. I was gone from home a lot. Um, now I work from home and that's non-negotiable. I'm not interested in a business or an opportunity that would require me to take up residence in an office again. I'm just not going to do it. Um, and leaving free time to pursue things that I love, like flying my plane. Um, I didn't allow myself that in the first 20 or so years of my business career, um, I was too hot on the chase of the next deal or the next dollar or whatever. Um, so the short answer is yes. I think the long answer is that I, there's some fear there. Like I, it would terrify me to go back to that place. And so I've really, my wife and I had have, have had that conversation. Hey, with these new businesses that you're doing, what if, depression comes back. And the answer to that is, well, I have a whole lot more tools in the toolbox now, and I would be reaching out for help way sooner in that progress towards that place than I ever thought I would have before. Without question, I think the tools in the tool belt, you just like, you need coping mechanisms more than anything. And that'll be relative to anybody. You mentioned flying for you. Um, yeah. For me, like, this is something that helps me a whole lot. Podcasting, meeting cool people every day, it's a lot of fun. But I mean, that's a relative thing. Um, people will need to figure that out. Exercise, meditation, diet, and stuff like that. That'll be also somewhat relative. But those, those three are good. Um, sleep, um, for me, is, is one of those things that I've always put on the back burner. And I've realized now that it's it's the most important thing. I need six hours. That's my number. Um, so I'm you mentioned somebody else in the world whose number is six because I I can't get past six. It's six hours, no matter it, what. It, yeah, it's I'm the same way. It'll literally be six, no more, no less. Actually, yeah. if I sleep less, I wake up with a little bit more energy. I'm a little bit weird there, um, but yeah, six is the number. If I sleep more than six hours, I feel exhausted. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 
But anyways, um, you mentioned 20 or so years, and this is actually something that I'm realizing um, or 20 or so years in business before you started to realize you need to start taking care of yourself a little bit more. I just realized a couple of weeks ago that I could put a stop time on my day as an entrepreneur because you just feel like you have to finish everything. And I'm just like, I am not working past seven ever again. And I could do that. That's fine. Things are fine. <laughs> but it's hard to do that initially, right? Because you feel like you have to work forever. I think some of the best advice I ever got uh, was volunteering with my church and the person who had been in that position previously was sharing some advice and counsel. And I'll never forget what they said. He said that the work will never be done. So just end your day and then the work will be there tomorrow. And that has been so valuable to recognize that it doesn't matter how much you get done. It's never done, right? You'll wake up tomorrow. There'll be another email. There'll be another fire to put out. The water heater will break at one of the rental properties or something. You know, it's never going to be done. So you just have to take control of your life and decide when you are done and tell the work to wait for you. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Exactly. Because even if you somehow were able to accomplish everything on your list, I guarantee you you'll find more things to do, right? No doubt about it. Um, all right, cool. So let's talk about what you're building now, um, because you're talking about compressing the life cycle of a real estate investor. Um, so before I dive into that, just give me a broad strokes overview of what that means, and then we'll, we'll get more granular. Yeah. Uh, so you can go to just about any real estate meetup in the country. And what you'll find there is you'll find people that are looking to start in real estate investing. And then you'll find a gradient of experience. And what I've observed is that generally people's investment experience starts with buying a single family home as a short-term rental, long-term rental, or as a fix and flip. They do that enough to where now they've got a little bit of cash. So then, then maybe that becomes a fourplex and that turns into maybe some small multifamily investments, 10, 15, 20 units. And then somewhere along the line, they discover uh, syndications or funds and start investing in large multifamily or commercial projects. What we're doing in San Diego is San Diego is, is landlocked. Um, and there, there aren't large tracts of land for big multifamily developments. And so San Diego has developed legislation around ADUs, accessory dwelling units, to the point where you can buy pretty much any property in San Diego and legally convert it into a three, four, five, sixplex. Um, so you're converting a single family investment into a multifamily investment and with experience and understanding the process, you can accomplish that in 12 to 18 months. So you take this, what might take somebody a decade to achieve, 
And with one property, you can go from I own one door and have a rental property to I own four doors or five doors or six doors on the same piece of property that's either cash flowing or can have a significant equity side upside exit in a very short time frame. So we compress that investment cycle and we like to say we build momentum in your investment portfolio. All right. Very cool. So are you focused on the San Diego area in particular, or do you guys have a broader scope than that? No, exclusively San Diego. So this is a laser focus. And here's the reason why is anywhere in California, you can buy a property and add an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit, and a JDU, a junior accessory dwelling unit, and create a triplex. In San Diego, um, they need over 100,000 new residences to meet the growth projections. The only way to do that is by adding additional units to existing property. So San Diego's taken the California law, expanded it to where um, we have a project right now that we, we're taking a single family home. We're adding four units. It'll be a fiveplex in about 12 months. Um, other people that we know, um, this isn't our model, but have taken single family homes and now have a tenplex or 20 units on what used to be a residential piece of property. Okay. Uh, makes sense. Um, the reason I asked is because I knew it wasn't going to work everywhere. So <laughs> thank you for answering that way. I'm from Chicago. We call that a coach house and they're illegal. Um, and just about every, <laughs> so <laughs> it wouldn't work here. The other reason why it works in San Diego is a simple thing called math. And that math is this, is I can build a building for 250 to $300 a square foot. And at the going on market rates in San Diego, that property is worth somewhere between $700 and $1,200 a square foot. So in the worst case scenario, I can double my investment. In the best case scenario, I can quadruple it or better. There's a property right now, we're actually have a meetup tonight at that property where uh, the return on that investment was over 1,200%. Wow. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Those are some awesome numbers, by the way. Um, so I'm just curious, when you're scoping out a single family um, in San Diego, I'm, a, I'm imagining lot size and stuff like that are important so that you can get the ADU and the JDU. But like, what other things are you looking for? Uh, proximity to public transportation is one of the key ingredients there. So you need to be within half a mile. Um, lot size is important. We also don't want a property with a pool because we're going to get rid of the pool anyway. And now you're dealing with some environmental issues. Potentially you're dealing with backfill. Um, you, we also like corner lots because you have access from two sides of the property. Any property with alley access is a huge bonus. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into that buy box, but at the minimum, we're 1,000 to 1,200 square foot home on a lot that's no less than 6,000 square feet. Is That's the minimum we do, and then we go up from there. Okay, so, so it sounds like you're often going from single family to like as many as six units. Um, does that cause any zoning problems out there, or is that something you guys have systematized? Um, the San Diego is encouraging that, so the code is written to allow it. So once you understand the code, then you can maximize that investment. So, yeah, there's so not only are there not zoning issues, but HOAs and other local municipalities are prohibited from restricting that construction. Tremendous. So that's why they say location, 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 right? If you know your market, you know exactly what to do. <laughs> um, um, very cool. So I'm super curious because um, you mentioned if you build an ADU for $250, $300 a foot, you'll get a return of $700 to $1,200. Um, so like what kind of return do you get turning a single family into a six family? Because I imagine that's substantial. Yeah. And part of that is a lot of your fees, you know, you're, you're going to be building vertically at that point. So you don't have, you know, you only have the footprint of the building one time and, and you're more efficient in that construction. Uh, but it's just a multiple of that. So if you take, let's say all of those were a thousand square feet. So you've got 6,000 square feet. You're going to spend, let's say $1.8 million in construction. But then at the lowest number, you've got 
4.2 million dollars on the upside so if you can manage and have the funds for the construction portion and you're okay with the 12 to 18 month hold period mm -hmm. then there's significant upside yeah no kidding um, what do you think is the biggest challenge some of the people that you're working with are facing is it uh, acquiring the right property is it managing the build um, give me some context there uh, with the people that i'm working with i'll just say for investors is they have a hard time believing that or really understanding the concept because like in phoenix like in chicago like nobody would even think about building a second home in your backyard and having somebody live back there four feet from your home right that's just not how we live and what i i love history and that was true in New York City about 100 years ago also. I know there weren't the high-rise buildings. Not everybody lived in an apartment. But because of the desire to live in that location, changes need to be made in how people choose to live. That's already happening in all over California, in San Diego in particular. And so it's a mind shift for a lot of investors to understand why that would be desirable. Um, so that that's one challenge is just education. Uh, I think the other challenge is, uh, and I wouldn't say this is something we're dealing with right now, but as we scale towards our goal of 100 properties, uh, labor shortage, especially in construction industries, is a big deal. So that's something that we're going to have to plan for and manage for. And some of the ways that we're anticipating that and planning for it is looking at prefab construction and other similar technologies so that we're not as reliant on local labor. Okay. Um, awesome. So now I'm just kind of curious. Um, it's like you can often buy like a four unit or a six unit in my area and you could actually subdivide that and sell it is what they would call a condo. Right. Is that something you could do with this model where you kind of subdivide it or are you kind of locked in? Um, so not currently, but there is legislation being considered that would allow for that. Um, that I think the challenge there will be figuring out the financing on that for, you know, for buyers and for sellers, really. Um, that's not our model. Um, we believe there's a large enough market either for multi-generational families that will want a multi-unit property. Uh, or what makes this attractive to an investor who's acquiring is new construction in California is not subject to a rent control for 15 years. So you've got 15 years of appreciation in rent in a highly desirable market. You know, San Diego is the eighth largest city in the country. Uh, you've got great cross-border trade with Mexico. You've got every branch of the military that's there, plus all the government contractors that come in. Um, it's a it's a very vibrant and stable economy and one that historically has outperformed most other markets. Um, I think that will continue to happen. And so to be able to have that kind of a rental pool um, in a place that historically has very high appreciation is attractive to uh, investors. Yeah, I was about to say, as soon as you said that, I was like, well, you should hold it for 15 years then at least. Um... <laughs> in, our personal, in my personal portfolio, that's what I'll do. Um, but here's why we don't do that when, with investors. And that's actually a very common question is, you know, Tim, if you invested a hundred thousand dollars with me, um, right now, what we're projecting is we return next year to do $135,000. Well, if I refinance that property and pay it off, maybe you get your 135 and then you're going to have very marginal gains after that. Let's say it was 5% per year for the next five years, right? Well, and then you could add appreciation into there and maybe, you know, let's say it was 10% per year that happens. So you're going to have then, what are they, maybe 75% over the next five years, which sounds great, except if I took that same money, reinvested it in new construction at what we're doing right now, I'm going to get 35% per year instead of 15%. So in that same five-year period, I'll return 150% to you instead of 75. So as a sponsor, for me, looking at the deal, it makes zero sense for me to try and convince you to stay in a deal for five years and have half the return that I could get to you with a different investment vehicle. And that's why we call momentum. We don't, we don't want to be 
we want you to stay invested with us for a long time, but we want to compound those investments uh, very rapidly. All right. Is there, because you actually gave me a list of really cool questions. I want to start diving into those. Um, but before I do that, I'd love to give you the opportunity to discuss this opportunity that you're creating for people a little bit more. Is there anything else you'd like to touch upon there? And if anybody wanted to reach out to you in that capacity, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, find me personally. Uh, LinkedIn is a great resource. It's the Alan Underwood on LinkedIn. Um, you can connect with me there. Um, any really any of the social platforms, happy to respond there. Our website is mmtmgrp.com, and you can schedule a call with us from that website. Or if you're ready to invest, you can sign up there. But yeah, I would welcome and love to have those conversations. Our goal for over the next three to five years is $50 million in capital raise, and um, we're projecting 35 to 42% returns to investors. In, 18 to 20 months on those investments. Very cool. Awesome stuff. So now things are going to get fun. Um, yeah. Not that it wasn't fun before, but they're going to get really interesting now. I'm just reading through these and they're awesome. Um, Alan, tell me about the time that you ran out of fuel over the Grand Canyon. Like, that's a <laughs> wild story. Let's get into that. So one of the things that I discovered with aviation is it's a great networking tool. So, Tim, if I met you at a real estate meetup and I wanted more time with Tim because I'm like, man, I want to get on this guy's podcast. It looks like he's got a lot of stuff going. He's way above my level of experience and income. I got to connect with him. Well, if I went to you and I'm like, hey, Tim, I've got this great idea Saturday morning. Let's get together at 7 a.m. and we'll hang out for like four hours and we can just talk. How, how do you feel about that? Um, most people would not love it. Probably. Yeah, I kind of know where you're going though. <laughs> are you going to tell me no, but yeah. make sure you don't bump into me again at another real estate meetup. But if in our conversation, I'm like, Tim, I own a small airplane and I was planning on flying over the grand Canyon on Saturday. Would you be interested in doing that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's Nobody says no to that. So now I just bought myself four hours or what, however much time with whomever I want. And I'm going to provide an experience for that person that they can't have anywhere else. So that's the exact scenario I had. I had two guys that I met at a networking event in the airplane. It was a new airplane to me. The fuel management was different. I hadn't been over the Grand Canyon in that plane before. I was super excited. And I just simply forgot to switch to the tank that had more gas in it about halfway across the grand canyon the engine sputtered and we started running out of fuel which terrified the passengers um and i recognized pretty i mean the whole thing maybe took three or four seconds i recognized what i'd done switched the tank engine fired right back up and we were good to go funny thing about that is is now one of the guys that's in that plane was in the plane with me he and i often share the stage together at real estate conventions and conferences and if I'm introducing him, I will always say that the way that I managed to get into business with Dallin was that we were over the Grand Canyon. I shut off the engine. And I told him until I was in a deal with him, I wasn't going to turn the plane back on. <laughs> he agreed. And here's where we are. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the running out of fuel over the Grand Canyon. It turned into a great thing. And Dallin and I laugh about it now. That that's a great punchline. I just think it's hilarious that you had people you were trying to network with, and it's like, oh no, we're out of gas. Um, yeah. Don't worry, uh, there's a second engine. Talk guys. about an experience um, uh, that I'll never have with anyone else ever yeah. again, right? Well, I was going to say they're not going to forget that one. There's just no chance. Um, <laughs> I love it because, um, Alan, podcasting is very similar as a networking tool. Um, yeah. Similar to what you're saying is like. Do you want to spend an hour with me and just hang out? But most people are going to say no. But it's like, do you want to be on my podcast? A lot of people are very interested in that. Um, yours is a little bit better, though, now that I think about it a little bit more, because it's a life experience. Um, it's a or, flex or play. Yeah. On what you get, right? It, well, it could be a death experience. And not yet, right? We're, you're still here. Um, <laughs> it could be a death experience. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, I flew over the Grand Canyon with my guy, Alan. Um, so it actually gives people a lot of reason to, to talk about you. And it's four hours alone with somebody, not one. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll tell you that 
Um, I'd never expected that from aviation, but it has become the best connecting tool for me. Um, it separates you from the crowd in a room and, um, there's not too many people that at some point in their life haven't dreamed about flying. And so to be able to me to give somebody that gift is super powerful and it creates connections that even if it doesn't turn into anything, like that's not really the goal. I, I love relationships. And so it helps me build relationships and those relationships turn into friendships. Sometimes they turn into business partnerships or investments, uh, but all the time they just turn into great experiences with some really amazing people. Okay. Um, I imagine that makes people's day all the time. So, I mean, that's, that's a fulfilling thing, right? Purpose and you're getting happiness from flying the plane too. So you're hitting two of them right away. Um, and sometimes it leads to business opportunities too. So you get the trifecta. <laughs> Every business partnership I'm in right now has some connection to my airplane. So, uh, there you go. Yeah. If you're trying to figure out how to break into the world of business, go take flying lessons, buy an airplane and start connecting with people. That's the, short path that should only cost you about a hundred thousand dollars only it sounds <laughs> worth it though because that you're going to get in the room with a lot of people um like without question just offering that um awesome so there's a couple more that i have to get into we only got 15 minutes alan um okay. <laughs> how to turn a junkyard on fire literally into a 16 million dollars per year business yeah uh okay so when i started uh, the car dealership. I, I'd been working for, I'd been managing a car dealership and recognized pretty quickly that there was a whole lot more money to be made owning the car dealership than managing it. And when I, when I left, um, I rented a lot caddy corner from the dealership that I was managing at the time. And that lot happened to be a junkyard that was owned by a guy that was like 80 years old. He'd been there for probably 50 years the building, the grounds, everything looked as bad as you can imagine. It was a junkyard. I It took me eight 40-yard dumpsters to clear out what was just inside the building. Um, most of the stuff that was in front of the building, we just pushed on the back part of the lot to get it out of the way. And then um, as this guy was trying to move this old manufactured home that was out in front of the building that we were leasing from him, uh, he set fire to it. And the dealership where I'd left were not happy about me leaving and not certainly not supportive of any success that I might have had. And um, I can remember several of my old workmates from the dealership driving over and literally in my parking lot laughing at me as this junkyard that I'd rented to be competitive with them was now on fire. And, um, you know, this happens to people in life, right? Like you, you're pursuing a dream and you, something happens that can either totally stop you or it can ignite something within you. And I was just determined. In fact, I never, ever crossed my mind that what I was doing wouldn't be successful. And so we cleaned up the fire, got it put out, got the trailer out of the way. And then from that point forward, we grew, about a million dollars a year every year for the next 13 years and ended up putting the old dealership out of business actually ended up moving onto their property and uh, taking over that location within two years of that junkyard fire what a wild story i love what you just said it never crossed your mind that this would never be successful. Um, and I'm curious for a little bit more context there. Was there any point in that journey where you were really, really worried? Um. <laughs> oh, there were a lot of points when I was really worried. So we opened that business in May of 2007. By October, the housing market was crashing. Financial markets were crashing. People could not get approved for a car loan with a 700 credit score. Um, I went from making $150,000 to $200,000 a year to the end of that first year in business for myself, uh, reporting a $7,000 income to the IRS. Uh, I thought that we would be living under a bridge. I had mortgaged my home. I had borrowed money from friends and family. Um, it was nearly, I mean, it was as scary a time as I can remember. Um, I will tell you, there's a really transformative moment in that is our, our church has a, 
a resource for families that are in need um, called the Bishop's Storehouse. And that Christmas, um, we did our Christmas shopping there and we were getting blankets for our kids and other necessary items. And I can remember walking out of there so embarrassed at the situation that I was in, what I had done to my family, um, that I just, I told my wife right then and there, I promise you this, that we will never, ever again be in this situation. I don't care what it takes. And um, we figured it out. Um, We made some new partnerships with lenders. We ended up becoming the number one dealer in the country for four years running with a secondary lender. Um, We just found solutions and it was extremely difficult. Um, But I, I never, it never occurred to me that it might not actually work. It was, but it was hard. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I can relate to that a whole lot. Um, <laughs> it's and the reason I asked the question was like I also I have that too, but sometimes I see it as a massive problem. It's like sometimes you need to look at things a bit more realistically because I know given a long enough time frame I could accomplish whatever I want. The question is like how long is that time frame? Um, and I found myself in, yeah. in situations similar to that where my income was very high and it drastically dropped off suddenly. And it's just like, oh, shit, um, <laughs> I have a lot of problems to solve. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that she got through it. Um, and, and I really do think I think this is universally true. Almost like the only way you could truly fail is if you give up. Um, but you need to make sure you're working on the right thing, too. I think that's important can't just keep doing the wrong thing forever. Um, Well, I think uh, there's another component to that also is um, how you define failure. Because I I have said for a long time and taught my kids this, that education isn't cheap. And you can get educated at a university if that's what you choose. Um, Entrepreneurs get educated every day in their business. And that that is expensive. It was expensive in my time. It was expensive in mental health. It was expensive in energy. It was expensive in money. Um, and that's still true. Um, you know, I, I was talking to my business partner in this real estate business that we're doing right now with Momentum Capital. And it took me 13 years to grow a business to $16 million. And that was a lot of work and a lot of learning. What he and I are attempting to do is a $200 million company in five. And I said, you know, what, what you're asking me to do is in a quarter of the time, grow a business that's 15 times the size of anything that we've ever done. And a lot of people would look at that and say, you're crazy. Um, I, again, I don't, I know what the risks are. I know how it's possible to fail. I just don't think that it's possible for us to fail. Um, I believe 100% in our success. And I think when you can believe in yourself uh, and surround yourself with good people and put into place good processes and develop good habits, that you can create whatever kind of dream that you want to have. I love the goal, man. Um, I'm reading a book (laughs) right now, and I think it's relevant. Like 10x is easier than 2x, which yeah, you may be familiar hard. with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Because, I mean, I, I love the – I'm not finished with the book yet. But it's really focused because the entrepreneur's journey, as you know, better than anybody, right? It's a becoming journey, right? You become a better right. person, and that gives you the ability to create more valuable opportunities and so on and so forth. And, and, and trying – and the brute force part is really what's hitting me because most of my career has been driven thus far by me just kicking doors down and just brute forcing everything. And I'm finally at the point where I realized that I need to slow down in order to make more money and to start leveraging other people um, because I just can't accomplish what I want to. I'm not nearly at your level yet, Alan. I'm not going for 200 million yet, but I, maybe one day. Um, but well, that's tremendous because- the difference, the difference there, Tim, is it took me 45 years, I accumulated uh, let's say $5 million in real estate. Um, I purchased twice that much in the last year. 
And the difference 100% was I joined a mastermind group and surrounded myself where people were doing things that I thought were impossible and gave me a vision of what was possible and helped me expand the belief in what I could do. And so, you know, maybe alongside with coaching and hiring somebody as a coach, find a network of individuals that are doing things that are scary for you. Um, when I used to go to real, I'm, I'm, I'm developing a 91 unit apartment complex in Phoenix and I'd go to real estate meetups and nobody else in the room was doing that. Nobody had done it. And there's, I could have looked at that and said, man, look at me. I am so awesome in this room. It was actually the opposite. I was like, wow, um, I have got to find another room where there's people doing what I'm doing. The very first meeting I had in the uh, network that I'm in right now, um, one of the guys stood up and talked about the thousand unit apartment complex that he was doing in San Antonio, Texas. And I about fell out of my chair. My very first thought was I am in the right room. I have no clue how you do a thousand units. That to me seems like insanity. But if he can figure out how to do a thousand, that means he can tell me how to do 90. And that network of guys and girls has been completely transformative in the last year. Cannot recommend more highly uh, finding the right network to get into and, and really becoming a part of it and changing yourself through the process. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic mic drop moment for anybody out there listening to. And I know this is something today where it's kind of almost cliche where, you know, you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. And I will just say that it's cliche for a reason. Um, there's there's no better way to speed track your life than to have five really awesome friends that are doing cooler things than you are. Um, I prefer to be the dumbest of the five um, because you grow the most. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, exactly. You get the opportunity to learn the most. Um, Alan, um, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business, man. We gave you your point to drop your call to action a little bit earlier today. Um, but yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for jumping on. Tim, this has been great. And thank you for the opportunity. Anytime. Um, I had some more questions I'd love to ask you. Maybe another time because these are interesting. Um, to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. And one of our other guests said this, and I think it's pertinent, but if you find yourself in the right room, you don't even need to be that good. You really don't. It's so true. <laughs> um, so number one, figure out who you want to spend time with and go start meeting those people. And then continue to upgrade your social circle, you will be amazed at how quickly you will scale upwards with that trajectory. Um, tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 